This is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. All right, before we get going with this episode, I need your help. This show is starting to make some serious inroads in the soccer community with coaches, players, and those around the game. And I can't thank you enough for your support, for your messages, for the sharing of the show on social media. It really means the world to me when you do that. Help me continue to grow this podcast in three different ways. So way number one, you can find us on 11 different podcasting platforms. Places like Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, among others. If you listen to this show on Apple Podcast, stop what you're doing right now. Go there, leave a five-star rating and a review. If you've never done it before, it's incredibly easy to do. It would mean the world to me if you could do that. So here's what a recent guest and a listener to this show has said about this podcast. Jason is a quality interviewer who has great guests. You will pick up great things all across the coaching landscape. Can't recommend this enough. And my thanks to Rudy Radiger, the head men's and women's soccer coach at Lackawanna College for that tremendously nice review. Way number two that you can support this show. Tell a coaching friend or colleague, player, someone in the soccer community about this podcast. Word of mouth, believe it or not, in 2019 still matters. Your opinion about this show still matters. Podcasts are an absolutely fantastic professional development tool. I had mentioned on another coaching podcast of the number of podcasts that I listen to on a weekly basis. It's somewhere between 8 and 10 on any given week. Make this a part of your weekly routine by subscribing to the show. Way number three, if you'd like an episode of this show or something a guest has said about a particular topic, share it on social media and make sure that you tag me. My handle on Twitter or Instagram is at SoccerCoachJB. That helps other coaches, players, folks in the soccer community find out about this show. All right, let's get on with the episode. I once had an art history professor when I was an undergraduate that said something along the lines of, after every dark age is a renaissance. Very fitting for episode 25 of On the Touchline with my guest, Brian Getman. We talk a lot about the journey that he and I were both on as coaches. Many similarities in the fact that he and I both started our soccer coaching journey a lot later than most. We went after our coaching license later than most. So I'm telling you this because he and I both experienced sort of that quintessential midlife crisis where we couldn't quite figure out why we were in the funk that we were in. 
and he explains how he got out of that. I've been fortunate through the help of a therapist to get out of that. And he explains what that was like for him uh, during a period of his life. He also talks about how he's gotten involved with Spartan races around the country and the mental toughness, the physical toughness needed to be a part of that and how that's actually translated to the team that he currently coaches. So Brian Getman is the head boys soccer coach at Spring Grove Area High School near York, Pennsylvania. He's also a club coach at FC Ballyhoo, also in New York. And if you have a chance, check out the FC Ballyhoo logo, uh, one of the better youth club logos that are out there. It's funny, having never met Brian, he and I hit it off instantly. And he and I met recently on a trip that I took with my family to Hershey, Pennsylvania, the land of Christian Pulisic, as we like to say. So he and I met for coffee that morning. So excuse some of the background noise and some of the music playing in the background. The coffee shop that we were at actually ended up being a little noisy that morning. I hope you enjoy my conversation in episode 25 of the On The Touchline podcast with Brian Getman. I guess I've come to realize, Brian, that, um, you know, there's all these things that we complain about, you know, coaching costs and, you know, all these other sort of things are just symptoms of really of a bigger problem. And, you know, it takes all of us sort of banding together and kind of rising up and saying, like, you know what, we got to do something about this. And, um... We expect better, we want better, and we deserve better. And, um, you know, it's so funny, I mean, the, the money issue is what, I mean, the amount of money they're sitting on and have done nothing with, I mean, I, I guess I, what I keep coming back to is that ever since the election, however long it's been, year and a half, two years, whatever, what's changed? You know, I mean, we have a national team coach now. That took forever. Um, what's changed you know I don't know if any of us can say anything you know other than it's become even probably more selective to get into those upper level courses um you know that one always kind of blows my mind and it becomes then a you know a barriers to entry um you know sort of idea or whatever uh, it doesn't make sense, right? It, ma- it makes no sense. It makes no sense to take someone like me, who I would consider myself a, a low-level, yeah. humble, beginner guy, right? Same and here. Yeah. Why is it? Why do I have to save up for a year, or throw it on a credit card, like, and then I'm having to budget myself, yeah. and I'm a full-time professional outside of soccer? Why, why, if I want to grow into the sport and make that and turn that into a career? I really wanted to. Why is that so challenging? Is it because of that? Like, it's almost like they're holding that against me mm-hmm. because I'm quote unquote part time or mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. Um, 
the reality is that I'm I'm not part time. I'm full blood. Like I'm obsessed. Yes. Like uh, it, it, it's crazy because, like I said, my career was fragmented. I mean, I was years at a time, two or three different times in my life where I didn't have anything to do with soccer. Mm -hmm. From playing, I actually took huge breaks at a pivotal point mm -hmm. of my development, and then I had um, a time where I. Well, there was no soccer available on TV at all, so I kind of fell away from it, you know, mm -hmm. and I became a, a fan of some other sports just because that was all that was available, mm -hmm. and then um, it kind of comes back with my kids, so now here I am again, so I've had two huge lulls in my mm -hmm. in my soccer life that it's almost like my batters are so charged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, so you and I are very similar in that regard, and the fact that, um, you know, I always tell people, like, I started my soccer journey way too late. And I'm okay with that. You know, I've I take that back. I've become more okay with that because I wasn't a, a 20 year old, a 22 year old kid going like, I want to be a coach when I grow up. Right. right? It wasn't until I had a kid um, and that our son came along where I actually sort of woke up and realized, like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, I love this sport. And I love everything about this sport. I want to know as much as I can about this sport. So. You know, that goes back five plus years ago or whatever. So, you know, I, I'm i still a toddler. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've just started kindergarten, essentially, um, in terms of what I think I know and, and whatever. And, you know, I, I would love to go back and uh, sort of shake myself um, from five years ago going like, God, why did I do that? You know what I mean? And it was always with the best intentions, but really having no direction or any idea. I mean, there wasn't a person... The only person that I would say that was a coach that was influential for me was a basketball coach. And his methods today probably would be frowned upon. Um, and it worked for that period of time. Uh, we were very successful because of it. But in the same breath, I mean, I just don't know in 2019 that's going to get much traction with a, a high school program or a club program or, you know, something along those lines. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, well, so tell me a little bit. You were mentioning, you know, that you were in a military family and that, you know, so you probably have lived in various places. And uh, tell me sort of about these entry points and then exit points of the game and kind of how you wove yourself in and then, you know, were out from it from a little bit, but then got back in and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's the interesting and sort of the... The thing that has worked against me to the point of being as old as I am now and just now sort of being serious about it, I wish this, because it's probably about 10, 12 years I've missed, and that's just cumulative time, but yeah. in general, I started playing late uh, by today's standards. I didn't start playing until I was seven, okay. and I just wanted to play a sport. I was a big fan of NFL, yeah. uh, but my parents just basically said, no, you're not playing football, you're going to play something else. You can pick, but you're not playing that. And I said, okay, fine. Uh, I had friends in school. They played soccer, so I said, okay, I'll play soccer. I wanted to be number 88 because at the time, believe it or not, you're never going to believe this, Mr. Pittsburgh. I actually was a big Steelers fan. I, I okay. grew up a big fan of Terry Bradshaw. Yeah. So Lynn Swan? I'm not, I'm, and 88 was the reason, yes. Lynn Swan is exactly why. Well, they wouldn't let me have 88, so I chose 8. And then anyway, so my very first game, I scored. And it was one of those scrappy, I just wanted to be first to the ball. I remember the, the, the memory is so vivid to me still mm -hmm. to this day. And it was basically a slide tackle to score. And it was seven-year-olds playing 11 v. 11 on full-size goals. Yeah. So, um, and it probably wasn't as glamorous as my memory makes out to me. <laughs> but um, just that fight and the drive, I remember those feelings mm -hmm. of, of wanting, wanting it more than the other guy. That's, that's really what I remember. 
So, and then I had a British coach, and it was uh, a really cool experience to go through all that. And then I tried baseball, and I really didn't like it because it was just too boring to me. And I, I'm not saying anything bad about the sport. I'm just saying it, it didn't fit my personality. I like the constant action of soccer. Mm -hmm. So I basically focused my whole life from that point on on nothing but soccer. So I found out I can play indoor too. Mm -hmm. Like I was so excited about that. So getting to play in the, the local gyms, uh, where I was living at the time was North Carolina. They actually built a indoor facility mm. with like, the hockey style, with the curved walls and the and the turf, and they had a bleachers up to the side. I mean, it was full scale for the, and an arcade underneath the bleachers. Uh, even better. As a kid, that was awesome. So, those are like the things that I remember like getting me towards it. And then being in the military, like I said, moving from North Carolina to Alaska of all places. Oh my gosh. You generally don't think of soccer and Alaska as going with each other, and it didn't. So where I lived was out in the Aleutian Islands. You okay. find or picture Anchorage, Alaska on the map and go 1,200 miles west. So we were on a 20 by 23 mile island out in the middle of the Bering Sea. So we had a gym and my dad put together an indoor league there, but it was a year between that I even did that. Um, and we're talking kids who had never even touched a ball before. So yeah. it was for me who had had two, three years to that point of, uh, mm -hmm. I would say, you know, training and learning, yeah. it, it wasn't that great. I don't remember it being that great, but it was cool because I also do remember them pushing the bleachers in and that becoming the sidewall, like all mm -hmm. that type of stuff. So, so, so would, would this have been like mid 80s? 85, 86, okay. yeah. Yep. So then we moved from Alaska to Florida. And, uh, Jesus. I, yeah, big change. And, and I'm, I lived in Pensacola, so I was on the Panhandle side. And to be honest, soccer wasn't important to me anymore. So learning how to skateboard and ride BMX bikes and surfing and all of those things is really what kind of captured me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't play soccer for the. That's pretty much, to my opinion, some of the critical development years. So yeah. those two, three years I didn't play. We moved to Maryland. So I was born in Maryland. Moved around all these other places. Okay. Well, lived in Scotland for a little while. Uh, ended up back in Maryland, did the North Carolina thing. Well, I forgot about Hawaii, I forgot to tell you about that. So, I lived in Hawaii for a little while before oh North gosh. Carolina. So, I've been all over the you know, all over the country driving most of that as a kid. We were in the car and all, all those trips. But um, living in North Carolina is where it started. Um, and then when we moved back to Maryland from Florida, true story, I was... I split semesters in my freshman year, so I was one semester in Pensacola, and uh, side story, I went to Pensacola High, okay. which was the direct rivalry for Emmett Smith's hmm. Scambia High, okay. so I actually got to see Emmett Smith play in high school during that time, so yeah. that was kind of a cool experience. Sure. good friend of mine was a linebacker for us, so he was... He hated him for that reason. So I remember being at a game on a Friday night and hearing, touchdown, Emmett Smith, 20 yards, Emmett Smith. Mm -hmm. Emmett Smith. So anyway, so when we moved back to um, Maryland, I remember coming out of, um, I was a big skater dude, you know, had the vision pants and the, you know, the, oh, yeah. the Paul Peralta stuff and, and the, all that stuff. And, and I, I still to this day love skating. But I came out of the gym from, to the bus after uh, school. And I remember looking over and seeing lacrosse for the first time in my whole life. Hmm. So I'm in ninth grade, I'd never even heard of this before. So I'm like, what is that? Right. And by hanging out through that process, it kind of was like, I kind of miss soccer. I could feel it, like kind of mm -hmm. kind of drumming up, if you will. So then I changed high schools again. So I went to three high schools in, in, in a year. Goodness. And that ended up being the high school I graduated from. I took PE class 
and we had soccer as one of our first subjects. Mm. And I remember standing there, and as all of us sped around the gym, and I'm juggling, and the, the teacher comes over and asks me why I didn't try out. And I said, try out for what? And he said, for soccer. Clearly, I'm the coach. <laughs> Clearly, you have some skills. Where where have you been? You know, like, what, what you know, what? So he told, tell me your story. So I told him, I just moved in and all this other stuff. And he more or less was like, why don't you come out, train with the JV guys, practice with them, just see if you like it. You know, because I told him I hadn't really played in so long. See if you want to, you know, be part of the program. So this kind of alludes to a lot of my, my new drunk, my newfound uh, passion for it because we had a Dutch exchange student on the hmm. on the uh, on the team who was phenomenal. To this day, I tell him, I say, I, I say that he was the best player I've ever played with in my whole life. Mm-hmm. So uh, David Kaniba was his name, and I'll never forget that. And also a super nice guy. So that was a, that's how I kind of got into high school. Then after high school, um, I wasn't intending on playing in college. <coughs> I sort of got talked into it at orientation. Similar, similarly, I was like, got yeah. talking to the coach, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm playing, and then um, and that was a fun experience. I actually, really, those are some of the best memories of my whole life is, is from that time, mm-hmm. um, for different reasons, not just soccer, but uh, then that was right about the time where it just sort of died off. I played some indoor leagues, you know, after and, and that, but then there was probably 10, 12 years to where my daughter finally started playing when she was 10, so she was born in 2000, so it wasn't until 2010 that I really got back into it. So I really was out of the game from 97 until then. So that's not even be able to watch it. You know, not, people would ask me, do I still play or anything? I'm, no, I don't. Just really just totally out of it. So that big gap right there is where I feel like I'm, I'm not mad at myself, but you know, like a little disappointed that I, I didn't, push more to stay in the game because I didn't I, I really kind of fell away from it and at the same time I had my own life's pursuits that came along right right my career and mm-hmm. finishing college and everything else that, that came along with that and actually my career changed so mm. what I went to school for is not what I do for a living mm-hmm. yet what I went to school for is now come full circle with coaching okay so there's a lot of a lot of ties that kind of go into that everybody's life's different you've said this on your other podcast before with other guests that um everybody's journey is different but I, so I, I would say I'm a little unique in that regard that a lot of my stuff has intertwined so true story I failed accounting starting out as a business major but yet I'm the treasurer of my club right now hmm. so I, well I, yeah <laughs> so I have some irony funny built, how that works right yeah some irony built into my to my life so that's the sort of um of how I just sort of fell in and out of the game and, and yeah. now being, God, I feel so old. So at the convention, I never felt so old and hanging out with a bunch of 20-somethings, right? <laughs> and now I'm like, I could be your dad. <laughs> in a good way, I was like, I really just want to be the cool colleague coach with you guys. I guess on right. some level I am, but then you, every time you guys are doing your, your wild party thing, your 20s yeah. thing, and then you look at me and I'm the old guy standing there. <laughs> uh, I, I can relate. Uh, yeah. Um, 40s looking me in the eye here uh, not too long it's not so bad um, yeah I mean it well I, it's kind of a weird pivot but I would have to say that um, I've definitely gotten more okay the older I've gotten of ages being a number right and that um, you know physically I feel pretty good uh, mentally this is probably the best I've felt about sort of where I am in my life and with my family um, you know, in the in the funny thing, so I draw inspiration from guys like you who, you know, uh, was going to hold this to the end, but maybe it's a good place to jump into it now. Of, you know, you've done Spartan races, <laughs> and 
I mean, that's some crazy shit, man. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I see you out there and, <laughs> you know, sl- slinging the mud or whatever. And so I'm like, well, if we're in a similar age demographic, you know, what's to say that I couldn't do that, right? I mean, I, I've i kicked it around at different times. And um, the guy whose episode is running right now, uh, Zach, his gym is kind of geared toward that type of training, right? Where they're doing a lot of... I wouldn't call it CrossFit, but similar types of activities, fun- functional fitness, right? And um, yeah, so I mean, weird pivot. We'll come back to the soccer stuff, but <laughs> tell, tell me about Spartan and like the psychology. The you know, obviously, there's a, a certain level of like physical preparation you got to do, you know, more endurance and, and whatever. But like, you know, did you wake up one day and go like, this is what I want to do today? <laughs> you know, and to be fun, to be honest, kind of. Um, really? And, and to even be more fair, your pivot isn't so far off base here, because a lot of what went into this decision to, to do this was was mental. It was uh, I've got to do something, but it was also why not? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm with so much adventure built into my life, moving around and always being the new guy in the room and, and everything else. It it was just sort of one of those things. Not to mention the age factor, not to mention those gaps actually directly correlate with my own personal problems, I would call them problems, but yeah. uh, challenges that I had trying to push through. And so this is one of the reasons why I feel I feel personally connected to you a little more about your own uh, outward speaking, about your, your struggles. Sure. So those mid-30s, those 30-year-old age for me was... It's lost years in in terms of things like coaching and in terms of other things. But really, I was so self-absorbed in a negative place that when I look at myself then, I wasn't, I don't know if depressed is the right word, but um, I definitely was not a nice person. I'll just say it that way. I was a very negative um anti-people person which is so funny now because now like, I can't get enough of people right. and um, just not in a good place so part of the spark and, and, and renaissance I call it all yeah. the time is I, mean, I, I gained a lot of weight I mean there's just a lot that went into that I, I huddled in corners and played video games all the time I, I never gave the, the right people the right attention mm-hmm. it was just very very reverse of, of what I am now and where I feel like you said in a much happier better place so the Spartan race was sort of a culmination of that at the same time, it's I gotta do something um, sure. physically. I gotta get some kind of exercise, and I can't play soccer at the level I wanna play. So, mm-hmm. year ago, my first year of high school coaching the boys, we did a lot of night sessions where we just open up. I just open up the turf and just come play. Mm-hmm. And so I got to play with them a lot, and mm-hmm. a lot of them, believe it or not, I'm um, are very good players, but. I still feel like I can challenge them. Part of that is my manliness, but also part of it is because the reality is they're still developing, and I'm a lot more smart about what I do now. Mm-hmm. So my intelligence in the game is a lot higher than, than what it used to be, so I don't have to be so physical. Well, I took one kid on, 1v1, who I had had some success with earlier on in the, in the night, and I felt a weird pull in my mm. abdominal area, uh, just above my hip, and it sort of took me out. Uh, for months, mm. and, and it, was, it didn't require any type of surgery or therapy, nothing like that. It was more or less a, a muscle tear that I was told that I needed to just basically nurse it, sure. uh, do some basic stretches, some basic core work. Mm-hmm. So, but that was in October. I didn't feel good about it until January. Okay. Wow. And that was about the time a coworker comes up to me and says, "We're doing a Spartan race. Do you want to do it?" And I said, 
sure, why not? <laughs> Let's do it. And then, and then about a week later, I was like, by the way, what is a Spartan race? Like, I don't even know what this means. Like, is it like a Tough Mudder? I'd heard of Tough Mudder. I was yeah. like, oh, is, is it like that? And he, he said, yeah, it's just like that, no problem. So then I actually went to the website and looked it up. Yeah, not so much. Um, <laughs> it is like a Tough Mudder in that it gives you some, some mud to play in. Yeah. But the reality is it's, it's um, and why I think I have taken to it. Mm-hmm. So now let's tie in all the things. So you got a little bit of military kind of tied to it, a little bit of discipline, a little bit of um, um, mental toughness, if you will, uh, of having to not just climb the obstacle, but Spartan's really good at using the terrain against you. So my very first race, without having any clue what we were getting into, they put us up on the mountain, up on Blue Mountain, which is a ski resort. Mm-hmm. And one of the very first, well, I'll just describe the three, the very first mile was up the mountain. For the first mile, there was no obstacles. So I'm taking this beating, right? And I'm thinking to myself, what did I get into? Luckily, this is the first mile. There's only seven more to go. <laughs> um, you get to the top of the mountain, and the first thing they do is hand you a 60-pound sandbag and say not to carry it back down. And then, by the way, once you get about, I'd say about an eighth mile down, you turn around and going back up. So you actually had to carry it down the mountain and up the mountain. So that was the very, my very first experience, if you will, with Spartan, without, really, without training or really knowing what, what I was getting into. So now you're talking about the, your, uh, your Zach, right? So, yeah. so Zach's stuff is, is exactly up my alley. Now, roll back a couple years when I was working for the, I was working for the Maryland Army National Guard okay. for a while and as a civilian and they every day three o'clock we sort of developed this little club we called it crossfit but it was essentially what you're talking about yeah it was let's just go beat up on each other do butts and bodyweight stuff let's run a quarter mile as fast as we can do 10 burpees and then do it again five times yep. you know just that's <laughs> like zach's like, gym in a nutshell like why why <laughs> because we can you know there yeah. was really no other reason behind it than that well that was that was the start of my renaissance i credit them and that whole process um, the very first day was a, a rough bunch they wanted to go on a rough march of five miles. Getman, you're coming with us. And no, I'm not. I'm sitting at my desk. And this is all right right towards the end of that whole negative-ish area. And they'll tell you that I still talk to a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you that I was not a very nice person at the time. So they finally got dragged me out. I was carrying a 35-pound backpack. We walked five miles. Walked five miles. And I couldn't have been more satisfied. Mm. I was so happy and so proud of that moment. And that literally was the kickstart of all of this. Mm-hmm. So now you fast forward to today, and it's just evolved into the Spartan thing has become almost like a lifestyle. I won't say I'm not fully disciplined with it because there's, sure. there's a lot to it. Um, but it's really become a nice built-in motivation. So I also like to use it... Um, walk the walk you know I talk the talk with the kids yeah. and and now I'm actually doing some stuff and I tell them you know I just went to Florida and I ran a Spartan race it was 13 miles by the way and 30 obstacles what are you guys doing for yourselves that type of thing and they're like you did what <laughs> so then I showed them pictures and whatnot yeah. and they're they're impressed but at the same time I can see their wheels turning like holy cow if this yeah. old guy can do it and I can do it I, I can and I don't do fitness in a way that um, is punishment I do it as consequence. You know, little funny, not funny all the time, but sometimes challenging things. Maybe three burpees, five burpees. You know, just something bad enough that they don't want to, you know, do them. So they want to compete and win. But get it to where they hate losing, you know. But that's really the whole point of it. But um, they they say, well, if he can do it, 
and I, there's certainly any no way. I, so I'd, I've actually integrated some of the Spartan workouts into what we did. So this past season, we had a lot of rain, and not just rain, but we had a lot of lightning. So we had to end up going inside. Right. So we had a lot of gym days uh, in season, which is really not good when you got 35 boys, yes. teenage boys in a gym. It's hard <laughs> to do anything. So what I did was I started dividing them up into groups, and we started doing Spartan workouts with the ball. So I was integrating the ball with some of the touches, and, and, uh, and that's hard too because it's kind of chaotic. Yeah. But they liked it because then we did some basic fitness to kind of kind of build in a little bit of mental toughness, a little bit of camaraderie and teamwork with each other because they, they were allowed to help each other. It wasn't like you had to struggle through the whole thing. And um, so there's a lot of good cheerleading going on, a lot of, a lot of team bonding that sure. kind of happened, you know, built into it. Mm -hmm. So I credit them for that too. So it's kind of a side tangent. That that the main reason why was I really needed a renaissance. I felt it. Mm -hmm. It just sort of happened. I, I was given a shove by the guys that I was working yeah. with and. That's sort of where, where it ended up. I do love it. I, I love the, you know, I, I think life is this uh, just constant reinvention of yourself, right? And that, not to say that, uh, you know, every period's gonna be a dark age or every period's gonna be a renaissance because there's sort of these, you know, the peaks and valleys, right? To yeah. sort of tie this to Spartan a little bit. Um, but that you found it and, you know, would it have been better if you found it five years ago? Maybe, but you found it. Right, and I come back to that with my coaching journey of, you know what, I, I could look at it as a negative thing going like, you know, I started this, I started my licenses way late. <clears throat> I started doing a deep dive into, you know, really understanding soccer and, you know, technical, tactical, psychological, you know, all those different aspects or whatever, way late. And looking at it as, you know, some people would say, well, that's a negative or whatever. But, you know, the more I reflect on it, I'm glad that journey started. And, you know, I mean, the way, I mean, I think it's completely inspiring because <clears throat> to, to, have a, to have a coach who, like you said, I mean, if, if you're talking about it, you're also doing it. You know what I mean? If you're saying, hey, guys, like, you got to take care of your body. But it's not just your body. It's your mental side. And it's you know, sort of all these things kind of intertwine with one another, but you're living it, right? So it's it's different than do as I say, not as I do, right? I mean, you're, I mean, you're modeling the behavior you want from... And, and hard work sucks, let's uh, be honest. Yeah, yeah. It does. Well, so... Where, where do you want to be? Well, it requires work. Yeah. So in my case, I can't play high-level soccer like you guys anymore, so I need something else to shoot for a goal if you will that was my goal so now I need to do all the work in between and did it suck there's days I didn't want to do the workouts there's days I didn't want to do 100 burpees yeah believe it or not yeah. I mean yeah there's days that I didn't want to do it but I did it anyway yeah. so the hard work sucked but at the same time the flip side of that same coin is that's your victory mm -hmm. you did it so yeah, yeah. well uh, so this isn't a uh, you know sort of a, a disparaging comment about a, a younger generation of players because I think what they respond to is probably different than maybe what you and I responded to, you know, in our playing days. Uh, yeah, our I, playing days was I said it, you do it. <laughs> uh, pretty much. Coach <laughs> said you do it, you do it. And there was no questioning why. There was no, you know, coach, can we can we talk about this, you know, sort of thing. It was well, and <laughs> it's so funny you say that, Brian, because so I, I, I played high school, you know, American football, and. Uh, I had a, a bunch of ragtag, you know, a bunch of guys that I played with, and, um, you know, there were people that weren't pulling their weight with some of the fitness stuff that we were doing uh, this one summer session, 
and I, I remember I sort of snapped back. It, I mean, I'm the guy that's like head down, work hard, like what you just said. You know, coach says run 10 miles. Okay, let, I'll run 11, you know, whatever. And I don't know if I was having a rough day or, or whatever the case may be, but I, I snapped back at the coach. And I said, coach, like, why am I getting punished for, you know, Joe not pulling his weight? You know what I mean? Like, and he's like, I mean, he put me in my place pretty quickly and basically said, like, you know, we're a team. We're going to do this together. And that, uh, you know, kind of what you said, that hard work takes everybody. It's not just, yeah, it's individual to a certain extent, but in a sport like that, you need everybody, you know, kind of going in the same direction. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just think the, uh, you know, the, I think today's player is different in the fact that there's probably more whys, right? And there's that that instant gratification of like, why well, worked hard today? You know, why don't I see the payoff tomorrow, right? But for you and I, I think for where we are in our lives of teaching them that this is truly a process. The process might not lead to the golden egg, right? The process might not lead to the championship. The process might not lead to, you know, you being named, you know, all-state player or, you know, getting a division one scholarship or whatever. But it doesn't mean the process isn't enjoyable. The process, it sucks, it's fun, it's hard. I mean, there's days where it, I mean, quite truthfully, just kicks your ass, right? But I've become more obsessed about the process. Yeah, I would like to get to the end result, but it's the work, it's the daily, it's those habits, it's the, uh, you know, the, the mental side of it. I mean, the more and more as we start our conversation, I mean, honestly, more and more, yeah, sports is physical, no doubt. Soccer is physical. But I find that what separates people is the mental side, right? And if you want to call it killer instinct, if you want to call it sort of that, like, um, you know, it's kind of a bad analogy, I guess, but like that assassin mentality of like, you know, I'm here to like, you know what, <laughs> like, do, yeah, exactly. Uh, I was thinking the line from the the movie Step Brothers, so I, I won't say it because there's probably kids listening to this podcast, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, um, and I think that's something that we have to teach our younger players, right? Because... I think at times I see some of the kids that I work with at the academy level get incredibly frustrated, right? Because we're not winning enough or we're not doing this enough or whatever. And it's like, boys, like, we have to put the work in. We got to enjoy sort of like these struggles and like, you know what? As much as it sucks to get our ass beat in a game, like, there's value to learn from that. How can we leverage that and kind of, you know, lift them up or whatever? So, I don't know. I mean, I think more than ever... I guess what I'm getting at here is that, uh, you know, the, the psychological component of all this is, I don't know if you could put a value on it. And I think there are some coaches that are equipped and adaptable that can understand it and appreciate it, right? Because there's some, I mean, there's some unbelievable people in our game that really understand this aspect of it. I'm interested in it just because I, I'm curious about what people do, you know, and why they do it. But, I mean, I know a small sliver, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, some of the other podcasts that are out there, I mean, uh, Dan Abrams, I mean, dude's unbelievable, you know, in terms of the psychosocial side of it. I mean, I could listen to him read the phone book. I mean, uh, so. Yeah, Dan's got great stuff. So the, the, the original point you said, original notion you were getting at earlier about starting at five years earlier and for me mm -hmm. 
there's been several moments when I started, when I look back on my my coaching career to this point, if you want to call it that, is there's specific moments where I look back and say, I wish it would have been different then mm-hmm. in one way or another. And then I also immediately reflect on it and say, well, had it been the way I'm saying, the way I'm wishing, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been ready. Yeah. So there's very specifically one example is I coached my daughter's teams from U10, 11, all the way up to high school. Mm-hmm. And then the high school job opened up. And they, and they the, the coach that we were in tune with uh, through the club left. Mm-hmm. And they had a year of another year or two of, of, of this just coaches coming and going. Yeah. And it really was a lot of inconsistency. And the group that I was coaching, truth be told, was, was very good. We actually had been winning a lot of things, shall we say. We, you know, we, we, for the local group, we were one of the better teams in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, had gone away to a few tournaments, done very well. We had won every indoor league. We, won every, we, we jokingly were winning. We won the treble. My, my last season with them, joking nice. call that. So we, we won the outdoor season, the indoor season, and the tournament that we went, mm-hmm. and we were undefeated in all of that. Which undefeated is is what it is, but it was good soccer throughout all of that. So it got to a point in high school where it would opened up, and my daughter more or less asked me not to be her coach mm. in in high school. I was still going to hang around with her in the club level. I was I was helping assisting with her club team, and I had to. That hurt. Because I really wanted to be part of that part, that journey with them, and um, truth be told, now they're all graduating this year, so this has been hard for me sure. um, to watch that. So then they went through another couple of coaching changes, and yeah. So I rolled back into this to my son's team, so U12 of my son's team. So now I took my son's team up to high school. Same exact thing happened. The, the high school job opened up, and I would have been the fourth coach in five years, and like just really just not any type of stability there and I said out loud I'm not letting that happen again yep. so my son was like all for it I told the opposite of, of my daughter and all of his all of his friends and everybody that I all the kids that I've been coaching at this point um, the parents were for it is they're very supportive in, in that decision so luckily it worked out that way true <laughs> the truth story I found out later that my assistant that I hired was the only other guy that actually applied for the job. So maybe I got it by default, maybe not out of merit, but I don't care. Yeah. It, um, I've taken it and ran with it. I've created, I hope, a, a, a culture and a, um, I, I, that the word is thrown around so much now, but basically a, a set of standards and expectations on the kids to where now we're two years in with mm-hmm. the youngest group. Now they're all going to be juniors next year. That's the core of what we've been doing, who we've been focusing on. And it's not that we haven't had any of the seniors the last two years contribute and be part of that process. I, I use the word legacy with them a lot. Mm-hmm. That you guys are setting the standard now for what these kids are going to have to live up to. Sure. So they they took that and ran with it as well. And no, we didn't win a lot of games. But the structure and the, the camaraderie and mm-hmm. the memories that they are taking along with them is what they've, I think, have settled on. Mm-hmm. So when I look back to the, to the girls' side of things, I, I truly say I wish I would have could have been the coach. Yeah. I do I do say that. Yeah. But if I'm realistic about me now as a coach versus what I was then, which is now four years ago, I wasn't ready. Yeah. There's no way I would have been able to handle that. Yeah. that. It would have been a disaster. And not just soccer-wise. Soccer-wise probably would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But it's all the other parts you just said, the, the psychosocial part, the learning about the, the, the tactical side is what it is. But... I was not ready for handling parents, for handling administration, for handling whatever, and I was still just sort of coming out of that renaissance we were talking about. Fully 1,000% credit coaching and deciding to coach uh, my daughter's team 
with getting me out of that. Mm. that fully credit. So the all the physical stuff, like getting exercise back in my life, but also mentally and socially, because I was very much a, a hermit, if you will, yeah. um, both both mentally and in general, even within my own home. So it really pulled me out of that. Because I, I realized I couldn't be that way with this. Mm-hmm. So what I essentially did was I modeled in my mind, if I was a parent, which I was, but if I was a parent, <laughs> how would I want the coach to be? How would I want the coach to communicate? How would I want the coach to, to handle and talk and teach? And then that's when I started diving into coaching education and licenses and all that stuff. Yeah. I was really wanted to just be a better coach. How do I do that? And um, I know the game well enough, but how do I do that? Mm-hmm. So a quick funny story about how I even got started was it was less than five minutes of the very first practice of my daughter's very first season <laughs> that I did the, the traditional it seemed to be the thing to do. Of I walk, walked out to the field with my chair and my drink, and I'm going to sit down, and we're going to watch soccer practice. U10 yep. girls, I think it was. And U10, U10, U10 or 12, I can't even remember. So long ago. And I sit down, and I watch what they're doing, and I turn to my wife, and I said, I should have coached because this is already driving me crazy. And I actually lasted two years like that. Wow. Two years before I finally stepped in. So the short of it, my daughter got complacent, uh, didn't make the A team, if you will, mm-hmm. and there was no B team coach. So I said, this is the perfect opportunity to step in and I can do it. So when we first started out, I became really good friends with the A team coach because there was always this combative rivalry between the A and B. I'm like, why? Yeah. I, I don't understand. Why don't you and I work together to get this whole group of, of girls the best they can be? Yep. And my goal is from the B coach, to, they want to be on the A team next year. So even though we've limited roster slots, of course we do, but once we get to the U14 level where it's an 18 uh, roster, mm-hmm. um, most of these girls should, make, should be able to make the team and be at a level where if we sub them out, there's not much of a drop-off. And I think we accomplished that. So like that very first year, we started, we did a couple times we would scrimmage. And it would be such domination on his side of things. Sure. And then by the end of the season, it was even. Mm. It was a little more even, I'll yeah. say it that way. To where they weren't, it wasn't so easy. He wasn't pulling people out of position and, and right. taking people off the field and or giving me extra players or whatever it might be. And it might have only been for 15 minutes at the end of practice, but mm-hmm. um, it was much more competitive towards the end there. So that was, that was nice from, from the girls' perspective that they were able to grow into that. So like I said, back to the original thing is I don't think I would have been ready I really don't mm. so I'm glad it actually like you said I'm glad my journey has gone the way that it's gone so now I'm, I'm looking at myself now and with us being in PA so many colleges right and really yep. our area college soccer is like what everybody sells you mm-hmm. so when I look at where I'd like to be I'd like to eventually be running a college program mm-hmm. I'd love to have that chance to do that especially coming from the high school level where I now have some processes and mm-hmm. um, a structure in place of how I want things to go. It's a great, great place to, to get all that going. Yeah. But if they were to come to me right now today and ask me, I think I'd be wise enough to decline it mm-hmm. knowing that I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have commitments to the high school boys. I told them I would be with you through the rest unless you ask me to leave. Right. I, you know, I plan on being with you guys through the rest of this. And, and probably one more year after that because my team was split between 8th and ninth graders when they came up. Okay. So now my 8th graders are now ninth graders this year. So next year I have basically juniors and sophomores mm-hmm. as my as the, the bulk of the roster. Sure. And so when my son's group graduates, I'll have that other half. That yeah. I, I've kind of loosely internally decided I'll probably stick around one more year with them. But we'll see. So I guess two follow-up questions. Um, one related to coaching your own kids. Mm-hmm. Uh 
we'll talk a little bit about that in a sec. Does high school get a bad rap? Uh, high school soccer? Yes. I, I think the short answer to that is yes. And I, th that's actually one of the motivations for me stepping into it is because being on the club side of things for so long before stepping into the high school job yeah. was high school soccer doesn't need to be bad. It doesn't need to be a negative thing. Because I'll be honest with you, one of the number one motivation was standing in the stands watching the older groups that I had grown up watching my kids were watching. So I was always going to the high school games. I literally, I could walk to the stadium. Mm -hmm. I live right beside the school. Mm -hmm. So we were over there all the time and watching these kids on the field, boys and girls, both sides, watching them hate it so much and couldn't wait for it to be over. It's all over their face. They're just sucking it up and just doing it because they have to. If they want to play in college, they need they need the checkbox of the high school game on their resume. But do they really want to be there? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. Other than the, 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 the very... I call it flimsy. I get it, but I don't think it's a really good motivation to want to play high school sports. Is because to you want to be there to impress your friends. Now that we're older, that I look at that now and I'm like, eh, it's not really the right reason. Mm -hmm. You should be there because you love the sport, you love your school, yep. and you want to help improve yourself. Well, the bad rep thing goes with that, right? How many high school coaches do we know? I'll say for York County, I'll speak for the, for, for the guys that I'm now colleagues with. Yep. I, I would put a lot of those guys up against a lot of coaches. They're very good coaches. Mm -hmm. They know the game. They, they have good cultures. They have good programs. Yeah. They, they make state tournament every year. Mm -hmm. So they're doing something right. Do they get talent more than some of the schools like my own? Because I'm such a tiny school. Um, yeah, but they still have to put the puzzle pieces together. And they still have to have the, you know, like, again, throwing the world culture around. They still have to have all that right. Mm -hmm. And when you're at a school for 10, 12, 14 years and you're always at the division top, you're always at the county championships, yeah. you're always going to districts, you're always going to states, you're doing something right. So, well, so I, I think that's a, I, I guess, a small microcosm of, um, you know, soccer in this country, you know, on, on a larger level. And I say that is, it doesn't necessarily have to be an either-or proposition, right? right? Like, I mean, kids can do both. Both can be very valuable. And so I always kind of, you know, that the, the emoji of, like, the, you know, side look or whatever with the, you know, the, yeah. the uh, on the chin, the hand on the chin. Um, when folks, you know, talk about high school soccer sort of in a negative light because I'm like, we all want the same damn thing. You know what I mean? Like, we all want all of our players to get better so why are we like doing this weird in sniping, you know, well no, I only play club or I only play this or I only play that and Premier Elite, blah blah blah, the alphabet soup that, you know, is our game or whatever. I mean, I think both can exist and both be very beneficial for any player that wants it, right? You ask most of the kids that I coach in club, which are the same kids that I coach against in high school. Yeah. And you ask them which what they want to do, they'll tell you both. Yeah. They want to play for their school. Yeah. They want to play with their friends and they want to represent, you know, their community. Sure. They get it. It's funny because you said our main motivation is to help them get better. Really the high school side of things for me was totally the opposite. Mm. It was I just wanted them to have a good experience. Mm -hmm. I just wanted them to enjoy it. I just wanted them to like playing high school soccer. That's right. it. Yeah. Really. And, and I didn't go about it the right way the first year. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you. I made a lot of mistakes. But at the same time, it was successful in that we set a nice standard and a bar and we got things rolling. Yeah. So you look at you look at how all of that has, has 
progressed at this point. I'm only now two years in, mm -hmm. but you compare what it used to be. What I'm really hoping is that I can have a, a program in place that I can hand it off to the next person, and there be processes and, and standards and expectations, like I said, established to where now there is a program. Sure. And so that that was really my main motivation. Like I said, is just to have them enjoy it and actually like playing high school ball. Because yeah. I agree with you, it doesn't have to be one or none. Yeah. Um. So I, I want to go back to coaching your own kids. Yeah. And um, it's been fun. Okay. Uh, well, I, so I, I was going to say expand on that because so for me I would say the same. Uh, you know, ninety percent of the time, right? And then there becomes the father son. Uh, you know, it's the evolution father, father, of father daughter. Yeah, father daughter, sort of your dad coach second right dad first coach second and um you know and, and part of it is just the developmental age where my son's at right now and my daughters will experience this when they get older you know and if they play soccer or whatever but the um you know sort of the push and pull right because like when it is good brian oh my god it is so good right like when you can walk off the field and you put your arm around your kid and you go like damn like that training session was like you were working hard, you were having fun, you were smiling, like, I couldn't be more happier, you know, couldn't be more proud of my, my kid when they when that happens. And I have no idea, I've set no expectation for them other than to, similar to what you said, just that they enjoy the game, right? That this isn't something that they have to walk away from at any point in their life. This could truly be, you know, my, my dad played golf a lot when I was a kid and was in like a community golf league and, and whatever. And, you know, he always told me, he's like, well, guy, uh, golf's a long, lifelong activity. I never thought of like, you know, my older brother plays in like a pickup basketball league or whatever. I never thought of those things as like, you know, as I get into my 30s, 40s, whatever, 50s, I could keep doing them. You know, I know I'm going to coach soccer whether my kids do it or not right it's got me I mean it's got me hook line and sinker at this point I agree <laughs> um, you know and I want them to find their path but I, I guess to back to the question of you know it, it's hard right coaching your own kid because it's such a different relationship that you have with them versus other players on your team even though you know I feel like I would run through a wall for any of my players because I feel that strongly about them so I'm curious what your experience has been like yeah, one of the first experiences I had with my daughter as coach was uh, her coming off the field, and I always did the, every, every kid coming off gets a high five, right? Of course. And she ignored me. Mm. And my mom saw that, and my mom was there to watch. And after the game, we won. Um, and, you know, we, we, we played well, but for whatever reason, she was upset. I don't even remember why, to be honest. Um, she was upset, and this was at U12. So she, so it was. Uh, we were doing eight v eight at the time. They hadn't changed the rules quite yet. Yeah. So we were doing eight v eight. So she was always playing my defensive center mid, mostly because she would break up play. Mm -hmm. She's very tenacious mm -hmm. at chasing down runners. Mm -hmm. So she was really good at that, and she would do it in the midfield versus waiting to the back line. That was the whole reason I had her in that spot. Mm -hmm. Well, for whatever whatever it was that she was upset about, she would not give me a high five. She wouldn't even look at me. And I think I couldn't. I don't know if she was mad at being subbed. I could. I don't know if she was mad at whatever happened in you know, the play before. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because I yelled an instruction to her. Whatever it might have been. But my mom saw it, and she said, "Over it off to the side." And I heard her out of the corner of my eye. I wasn't in the conversation. Was if you ever do that to your father again, 
I will never come watch you play ever again. Wow. <laughs> and I was, I was like half laughing, half yeah. like up, you know, totally flabbergasted by this moment. So then when I talked to my daughter about it later, it was essentially the message of, listen, when we're here playing soccer, mm-hmm. I'm coach. You have to understand that. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to help you get better. And it really has nothing to do with you being my daughter. I'm going to treat you and coach you the same as any other kid on the team. So you have to understand that. Now she's 11, right? So that's kind of a hard process to, to go through for her. So over time, it got really good. Actually, I'm still coaching her now with her U18 team, and she really enjoys my coaching now. So that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. My son, on the other hand, is much more easygoing in general. He's just a much more laid-back person. He's not an overly emotional. He's emo- we use the word emotionally intelligent you know, in our coaching life nowadays. Yeah. He's that. He's okay. 15, but is emotionally intelligent. He doesn't let things take him off the deep end. He's not like me in that regard. I'm very emotionally charged. So he. Um, me too. <laughs> and sometimes for the for the for the good, sometimes not not so good. Uh, so for him, it's been a much different process because he just gets it. My dad played college soccer. My dad can play now. My dad can still school us and meg us and everything else. You know, he obviously knows what he's talking about. It's a different dynamic with the girls. And actually, brings me back to something I was going to say when I first started coaching the girls. I won't, this a point actually was mentally noting that I wanted to tell you this story. Yep. So one of the funny things about coaching the between girls and boys, and I'm really surprised you haven't asked me which one I like best. That tends to always come up when I talk about this. Um, one of my soccer moms, who is not a soccer person at all, believe it or not, she's actually an audible. Uh, narrator. She that's her. She does audiobooks. Wow, so it's really interesting. And come to over the years, getting to know her, she, her, and I have a lot of likes and interests that we've yeah. become fast friends. So she told me one of the very first conversations I ever had with her. So I don't even know her from Adam. Like I don't even know her name at the time. Matter of fact, and she said, "Listen, I, I'm not going to tell you how to coach. I'm not going to tell you you're doing good or bad. But I just want you to keep this in mind when you're coaching girls, mm-hmm. boys. And this is stuck with me forever." Boys play hard to feel good. Girls have to feel good to play hard. And mm. I've always relied on that when I'm talking, because it's psycho- back to psychological. Exactly what we've been, yeah. all the, everything we've talked about so far has been, been about mindset and how we approach those situations, whether it be me moving around a lot or changing high schools three times or being in and out of soccer, wanting to coach, not to coach, coach a kid, not coach a kid, coach a high school or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's all about the, the approach oh. and the mindset, getting into it. And then not to mention being humble enough to say, I don't know everything. Okay. And and hanging around with people like, I'll just throw some names out there, but hanging out a couple years ago at the convention with, with Gary Kernin and Roman Elbows with, with him and, and um, Beast Mode, you know, David Copeland Smith and some of the guys, we're just hanging out in the bar together. I mean, uh, uh, Anthony DeChico was there, uh, Scotty Bruce was there, and, we're, you're, and then there's me, okay? My little high school coach guy, local York club, you know, like I'm, to me, I'm nobody as far as these guys are concerned. And yet, I was at a level with them just talking and, and them giving me just through those conversations confidence that I'm doing the right things but also to know humble enough that I clearly don't know anything I, I that's what that was my, my tweet from the convention this year is I go through these ups and downs where I'm I like remember seeing that. I'm doing really well I'm, I'm doing awesome I'm, I'm, I'm having a good time the kids are learning a lot they're improving um, the parents seem to be happy with how things are going I'm doing awesome and then I get into something like that and I'm like I don't know shit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's like a big humbling experience, yeah. um, in a good way, where I ju- it just makes me more hungry. Yeah. It just makes me want to go that much further with it. So yeah. I 
look at like my licensing and my diplomas within the NSCA or United Coaches, whatever it is nowadays, United Soccer Coaches, and I look at all that, and then you equate, in my world, I, I'm an IT guy by trade, mm -hmm. so in my world, your experience far outweighs your certificates, because I can tell you if right now whether you are truly an IT guy or not, not by your certificates, but by what you know. Yeah and how you approach these problems. And I do coaching the same way. So I got to a point where I felt like I had gone so much education-wise and not much experience. Sure. So now I'm kind of leveling that out. And that's kind of where the convention comment came from, yeah. is that my bucket's full right now. Mm -hmm. I gotta start implementing. I gotta start, I gotta start trying some of this stuff out. So I was given the blessing of that U10 boys team, and this has been very challenging for me because mm -hmm. I'm not used to talking to such eight, nine, I mean, some of them are only eight years old. Yeah. It's <laughs> the, the age group I'm with now. It's fun, but it's tough because it's, last night, I just had a session with them last night, and as good as it was, I felt good about the session. There's just moments that I'm keying on that how I could handle it better or not. So like I said, I was listening to the to Dan's podcast on the way up here and with the Doug and with Doug Lamont and about pre-planning your own reactions to certain things, whether they are good or bad. And I really like that approach. So even though we sit down with our sessions and, and we plan, you know, all the activities and what we're gonna say as far as coaching points go and, and all that's well and good and we come out with it with a positive yes, this is going to be the best session ever, and yet we don't ever plan for what could go wrong. Right. Right. So I really, I'm taking that point to heart because that's essentially what happened to me last night. Yeah. It wasn't like the session was poorly planned, mm -hmm. and it wasn't like I wasn't able to keep their attention to a particular point. And next thing I know, it seems and feels like recess. Mm -hmm. So that, for me, has been the biggest challenge is keeping them on task. Yeah. So any pointers on that, feel free. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I have any uh, sort of, uh, you know, old man wise wisdom or, or something like that because uh, it, it is a challenge and I think the, the male female thing um, you know boy girl thing is it's really interesting to me because Wednesday night uh, I came home from a session and just given the the limitations of our space and the time that we had so we did sort of this uh, there were three of our club teams practicing together two of them are girls uh, an 09 and a 10 girls team and then an 09 boys team which is my team and so we basically rotated, you know, uh, e each team and the coaches for those teams had a station. We just rotated them through. And so, you know, 66% of the people who came through that night for myself and my coaching partner were girls. And it goes exactly to what you said, Brian, that, um, I mean, they were, I mean, the questions they asked me, uh, we were, you know, we were doing some, some technical work and, you know, very polite, very, you know, coach, can you can you explain to me, you know, how you're wanting me to do sort of a pullback V or, or something like that? And, you know, whereas my boys are, I mean, it's like Royal Rumble yeah. at times. And, um, and, and I know, you know, and I'm sure, you know, probably to a certain extent we were that way when we were that age, right? I mean, just sort of, that's the nature of being a boy, right? Sure. Uh, developmentally. But I agree with you, um, because there have been times we've walked off the pitch and my training partner look at I we look at each other and go, like, holy shit, that session was unbelievable. Like the boys were flying tonight. Like we've seen improvement and like man, like we are making a difference in them, you know, as players and as people. There've also been times where we've walked away, you know, almost like a, a gut punch. Yeah. Going like, 
you know, I, I mean, I think back to like the week of Halloween last year. I don't know if it was a full moon. I don't know if it was because it was <laughs> Halloween. I mean, it was insanity, and we were we were basically pinch hitting in a a different location just because of rain. Uh, and I don't know if it was because of that environment was different than where we normally practice or, or whatever. But oh my god! So. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I don't really have any great advice here because <laughs> uh, other than I like what you said though about sort of like the the responses right and that comes with I think uh, an emotional maturity as a coach right because you know see stimulus see response yeah that could be one way but if you plan for you know what there's stuff that's going to go wrong in the session right so I can either you know, throw a fit about it and huff and puff and, you know, whatever, or I can just kind of roll with it and say, you know what, boys, like, we're going to keep it positive, let's go, you know, what, we're going to adapt, because I think, I mean, I guess what it comes back to for me, they truly take their cues from us as coaches, right? So, you know, if I'm storming up and down the touchline during a game, they can just judge by the expression on my face or my body language, and, you know, my wife has even said to me that, like, she goes, you've done such a good job lately within like the last year, year and a half of not being as, you know, not that I was ever like this crazed person on the touchline, but definitely being more stoic, right? Definitely more balanced, more reserved. I think that is directly tied to sort of the, the mental work I've been trying to do of, you know, self-awareness and being okay with myself because, you know, I'm projecting a lot of my stuff onto my players when I do that things seem to go the wrong way so I don't know about you but I like saving money and I have a special offer for listeners of the on the touchline podcast as a Duke Tig brand FC member and I'd like to pass that savings on to you if you're not familiar with Duke Tig brand and what they do they were started by two professional women soccer players who felt that something was missing when it came to planning sessions, organizing your coaching philosophy, and figuring out your own personal style, either as a player or as a coach. These things should not be stressful, and they should be enjoyable, and they should also involve high-quality products. One of the goals of Duke Tig Brand is to provide the soccer community with those products. I can proudly say that I have used Duke Tig brand for over a year now, and I absolutely love the product. I currently use the Duke Tig brand trainer 2.0 plus to plan my sessions, to take notes, to do some introspection after matches and after training sessions. I absolutely swear by it, and I want you to experience the, all the good things that Duke Tig brand has to offer. So if you go to duketigbrand.com and place your order upon checkout, enter the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. That will save you 10% on your next order. I've included instructions in the show notes. Go back, give a look, and I hope you can experience the savings today. All right, now let's get back to our episode. So, um, how would you describe yourself at a training session? How would you describe yourself at a game? 
um, what, what's your demeanor like? And maybe how has that changed? It has definitely changed. I, I was much more intense. Um, I still tend to pace a little, but a lot of that is just nervous energy and really a desire for them to do well. And it's not really meant to be a reflection of me. And that's one thing that I've been really overly conscious of, probably to a fault. Because I think <laughs> my son makes fun of me all the time because I don't celebrate. I let the kids celebrate. So they'll score and they'll do something well. And I don't mean that I don't acknowledge it. It's just that I don't do the jump and fist pump and all that. I've just never been that way anyway, even as a player. So even as a player, I was much more... Uh, that's my job. Let's just get back to the task. So, I mean, I've scored overtime game-winning goals. I've, I've scored plenty in my life. I played striker and, and attacking mid most of my most of my career. And it, to me, that was just my job. Mm -hmm. So, I the question you haven't asked me is, would I prefer to uh, coach boys or girls? And one of the things that I feel like my style is more suited for the girls, mm. mostly because I'm not that chest-beating rah-rah guy. Right. I'm more of a psychological. Um, internal, you know, type person to where sometimes it's too internal, then it looks bad externally, and it looks like I, I have, you know, resting bitch faces, as it were. <laughs> Which, so <laughs> I was talking to Ellis Riley about yeah. this just recently, yeah. and and he says I don't, but I, it's just something that I'm I'm uh, just really overly conscious and self-aware. So the self-awareness piece that we were talking about earlier really fits with this question because I think. I've, I've gotten to a point where I can stand still. I can't sit. I try every game, like, or I'm sitting this game. And no, no sooner do I say that, I'm going to just get back up. And I'm not a ranting and raver. I'm not a yeller, but I will ask for reminders. I, I like to say the word reminders. So I'll say watch back post or you know, make sure you're tracking your runners or keep both feet down or ball behind your head. Nothing major, but you know, nothing tactical or anything. No joysticking for sure. Um, I definitely enjoy watching them play. So it's definitely their game and I like to keep it that way. But my demeanor and all that, I, I'm an intense person. Uh, by nature, I don't mean to be. I just am. So, like we were saying earlier too, I'm I'm an emotionally charged person. So I've had to really rein that in um, because it comes out. I say to the boys all the time, "Don't mistake my passion for anger," because mm. a lot of times it's not what I'm saying; it's how I say it. And I'm not saying it to sound mad. I'm not mad at all. And I actually preface a lot of what I say to them: "I'm not mad. Mm -hmm. I'm just really excited." <laughs> so don't take it that way. Yeah. Um, so. Because a lot of times I get that side eye, teenage look like, look at this dude. You know, he's he's yelling at us. I'm, I'm not yelling. At you. I'm just excited. Like, uh, it's not meant to be volume from anger. It's not. It's not from that place at all. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a very active coach. So, I watched some sessions just recently of some college guys that uh, I've gotten in, you know, close with. My new DSC for that matter. I just went and watched one of his sessions, and. Um, He's British, so he's kind of got that classic standoff to the corner and just directs everything from there. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. I, I like to be in it. I like to be partly, you know, maybe from my playing days or whatever, but I like to be milling around and, and talking to the players on a more close level. I don't want to talk to little Johnny from eight players away. Right. You know, I want to be over there next to him and saying, yeah, good job, that's awesome, nice touch, or whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I started out that the, the, the chatty coach, mm -hmm. you know, the one that, that kind of comments on everything, good or bad, right? And then I sort of reined that in for a while, and then I realized I'm not talking enough. Mm -hmm. So now I'm kind of finding that balance, you mm -hmm. know. 
and sometimes you talk more, sometimes you talk less. But it's like last night I had a game where I put them into where I just let them play. I just let them go. I let them figure it out. And after about it, actually it was a rondo. And um, so a lot of the kids have never, they call it keep away. But I'm like, whatever you want to call it, that's yeah. fine. So uh, a lot of them have never played it before. So I watched them start directing each other. No, you got to move over there, or yeah. you got to be faster, or only take one touch. And then finally, I started getting into the more the, the technical side of things of opening your body, which foot you're going to receive with, etc. Nothing major. Yeah. Again, I just wanted to see what they would do. And this is going to now become, I think, our opening game every day. Because we're just going to get them together when three, four, five of them are there, and just let them play this. And that was awesome. That was an awesome moment for me. So they they got it right, and without me, without my help at, at all. So that was that right there is one of the things too that I'm working towards with my demeanor and everything else is letting them solve their own problems. I feel like we're uh, <clears throat> brothers from other mothers because uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so many similarities in what you said, and that uh, I, I, I'm with you, man. I have ants in my pants. I have tried to sit uh, this current sort of uh, soon-to-be-ending futsal season that we're going through. Um, you it's know, just they, exciting. Oh, it, it, absolutely. And, you know, and, and it's the same what you said, though, Brian. Like, I just tend to pace, you know, moving up and down the touchline. Not really, you know, at times it's more, it's definitely not joysticking, right? And I think initially when I started, that's definitely what it was. I've realized that's probably not the best approach. It's more, you know, minor corrections here, you know, hey, think about this, you know, whatever. And then, you know, when we have time together as a team, halftime, whatever, you know, to begin to show some of those tac tactical things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, I mean, letting them figure it out, right? And, and with, I, with guidance, I mean. Sure. I, I, no, 100% with guidance. Um, and I found there's a great opportunity to educate parents to let them know that's what we're trying to do. Because I think sometimes, like, they want us to give them the answer, right? They want us, and I guess the comparison that I would make would be, think of a teacher in school, right? If you're doing a math problem, if you're trying to, you know, learn how to write a sentence or something like that, does that teacher necessarily give you the answer? Maybe in some cases they do. But I would venture to say, at least in my educational experience and, and what my sons go through right now, like, they're working with the student to try and figure it out. So it's the, the part of what you said, with guidance. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, they're, because it's everything you said. It's not my journey. My journey is a different journey, right? My playing days are over, but this is their journey. And so I want them to, you know, begin taking sort of ownership of it, begin taking, um, you know, like the 50% the of the way to understand, like, it's not just what coach wants. It's what you want. It's you know? a trap, though. Because sure. what you just said is, is the right way to go about it, where I had to learn the hard way, that I can't want it more than them. Mm. And that ends up being for a very bad mixture. Sure. <laughs> yeah. To where, for myself, it, it ends up being a miserable experience where uh, that's where I, that was the big mistake I made my first year of high school. I came into a good group of guys, mm -hmm. and I wanted it more than them. They didn't want the same experience I was trying to deliver. And it ended up being some... A little bit of headbutting at the time, uh, uh, occasionally, where I wanted it more than them. And what I wanted was not the same thing as what they wanted. And we actually ended up having a powwow one time after a brutal defeat, and they basically quit. And I was not cool with that. Well, I made that known, but I did it in a way that I opened up the door for them to tell me what they're feeling. And more or less, the gist was we just want to have fun. 
this we're, we're not here to win the state championship. We just want to enjoy playing soccer with each other. And it really opened my eyes. So that 50-50 you just referred to, I was more like 90. You know, I, I so I had to pull that back, and, and it was a much better experience from that point forward. But that was that was hard for me because I'm uber competitive in everything, and I also am an intense. So one of the Todd Bean uh, podcasts uh, that I just listened to, I, I think it was with Paul, the coaching yeah. journey, yeah. where he talked about the intensity of Iniesta and those guys, but they're not that outwardly intense. No. Right? They look relaxed and calm, but in their brain, they're just super, like, world-class intense. That's me. I'm not world-class. I'm saying <laughs> I mean it that way. Yeah. I'm just saying that, that's the type of intense I am. So I've, I've had to learn that. So real quick about my, my demeanor. My son makes fun of me all the time because I don't celebrate. So the big joke is he's an Arsenal fan. I don't know why he's an Arsenal <laughs> fan. But he, so whenever Wenger would celebrate... He would stand up and do that that double fist pump thing, right? But that's all he would do, right? Sure. Occasionally he'd clap. That's yeah. me. Okay. And he'd be like, "God, I wish he would just do." And then they'd show like the some of the crazy, like Conte from, well, I was from say, Chelsea would, yeah. would be a great example where he you know jumping in the crowd, yeah. fist pumping, and all that stuff. I'm like, I can't be that way. Yeah. That would be funny, but I'll try. I said I'll I'll try to at least show you guys a a little more, actually a lot more, a lot more than what I'm normally do. Yeah. Um, exuberance if you will towards your successes because what I don't want and I just don't want the perception to be that I'm taking the credit essentially that's what that comes down to is I don't want sure. parents to perceive that I did all the work look at me I'm the coach and I if, I if I didn't do what I did they would never have been so successful I just don't want it to be perceived that way yeah. and maybe it never will but yeah. that's something that I'm, I've thought about well I, I've always found one of the the really refreshing things so whoever wins the Premier League, whoever wins World Cup, uh, doesn't matter, men, women, whatever, you never see the manager is the first one to touch the trophy, right? right? It's always the players. And I think back to that of, you know, soccer is definitely a different beast, right? Because the Super Bowl just ended a week or so ago, and it, you know, who are some of the first people to touch that trophy, right? You know, hoisting the Lombardi. It's the owners, it's the coach, you know, whatever, and... You know, I'm definitely with you. I would rather just kind of be in the background because I want them to experience that joy. You know, I'm I'm proud of them. I'm excited for them. But this is their moment. It's not my moment. You know what I mean? I'm just the, the person who put them in the situation, you know? Well, it's interesting because then I'm taking what he has said to me and some of his friends, and he, he said this to me when they were around. They're on the team as well. I'm taking it more as an invitation mm. to be to be part of that. And not just off to the side. They they invited me to, to be their coach, as it were, to begin with. Yeah. Standing around at a Halloween party, and we got an announcement, a big group text from the parents that the previous coach was quitting. Mm. And they were like, you got to go for it. And this, and this is like all like this big momentum thing. And at the same time, that has come with its challenges. Knowing this with the athletic director in my interview was, listen, you're from the community. You're in the community. Your son plays in the community. This is going to be a tough thing for you. There are going to be things that aren't going to be uh, easy to deal with, yeah. and that's one of them. So, you know, I'm not invited to so many birthday parties anymore, and, and the big joke is that I, I, no one likes me anymore, <laughs> because I've had to tell their son they're not good enough yet, and they're, they're, not, they're not happy with that. So, I always give why, and I always talk about what they can work on. And as far as high school goes, you have two months. There's no time for training. you got ten months otherwise. You, you, you can develop and I almost always work with them for the, for the whole year this is the first year that I won't do that hmm. actually since I've been with these boys now five years this is the first year that I won't be year round with them 
So they they got their own clubs, they got their own teams, they got their own. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of giving them some responsibility to go off on their own, and and Coach Brian can't be there always. Not only that, there are plenty of other good coaches out there that you can go get learn from and get experience. It is time for you to hear another voice. Mm-hmm. So. Go for it. And when you come back, be the best version of yourself you can be when you get here. Because yeah. really, when August comes around, that's the team. I'm, I get what I get, right? As, as a high school coach, that was also one of the things that um, I was fighting against, that I didn't believe it until I got there, is that there's no time to train. Your, your horses are what they are, and you, you get what you get. And your job really is to put the puzzle pieces together as best you can to make to make it the best situation possible. I didn't believe that. I really didn't believe that. But I do now. <laughs> you know. So uh, <clears throat> a question that I ask every guest, um, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong when it comes to soccer uh, in the U.S.? I was actually stressing about this question. Because, because, uh, <laughs> you knew it was coming, right? I did. Well, I didn't want to... Uh, I just don't want to go off into too many tangents. In, in short, I think we're doing... A lot right, but there's also a lot that could be done better. Um, I'm actually really excited about Burhalter as coach. I know it took a long time, um, but I'll just come from this very, this one direction with that comment. He's not just your average U.S. coach. He actually went to Europe, coached there, played there, got his UEFA license. To me, that makes a whole world of difference in his ability to coach than just being the U.S. soccer uh, you know, in-house, if you will, coach. Sure. Yeah. yeah, his experience is only MLS on a professional level, but so what? I mean, I, I like, I, I watched a lot of the, the videos that includes him. I like his demeanor. I like his approach. I, I think he could be good. As long as they give him, we as fans give him time. What are we doing well? I think the fact that we're having any conversations at all is a good thing. I think that uh, people who are interested are learning and understanding that maybe there is a better way to do things. Uh, missing the World Cup to me was only one of many, many signs, but it was the more obvious sign that something's not right. Um, I think uh, having the women's game kind of get caught up to has been eye-opening for us. Um, I don't think some people still believe it, but I think it's very evident. Um, this last game with Spain, was, they've only been around, what, six years, I think, as a team total? Okay, so um, people, oh, their culture, this, that. No, I don't believe that for one second. It, the, the, the word culture when it comes to goal, uh, international, so you're talking about the Spanish culture versus the American culture. If you take the women's game versus the women's game, there's no differences to me. Mm-hmm. It's the methodology and or the approach to how they taught and train these girls. So sure. that, that's how I look at it. So what are we doing right? I actually like a lot of what U.S. soccer is intending to do. So you look at these young kids who come into the national team for the January camp. And yes, it was the quote-unquote B team. But I thought they played some really good football. There's some things that need to be worked on, but really, they're not really a team yet. You know, like you, you, that's the first time they really played together. So, and that's not really going to be the team that goes forward. I mean, you got to inject some of, some of the other guys that are in Europe right now. But the the approach to the game is better. The approach to coaching education is better. Um, could it be cheaper? Yeah, but I have my own opinion on that. I. I I feel like if you're willing to invest in yourself, regardless of the price, you'll you'll make it happen. That, that's my opinion on that. But um, let's see here. The the one thing that I like is I'll credit 2008 Euros. Is I think we're doing really well with the way that we televise the game. 
I wish our announcers would. Uh, I liked the original version of our announcers, even for the English league, to where it was the English guys mm-hmm. talking about the English game. I'm not a big fan of the Americans talking about the English game, especially ones who never played there. And I'm not saying that they don't have credibility in the game. I'm just simply saying I enjoy the English announcers much, much better. Uh, I like the truth behind what they say and they're, the way that they just no holds barred and they're excited about what's happening. So yeah. I like that. But the television, the, the way that we're inter- being, being introduced to the game, the way that we're... Um, and I don't mean the studio stuff. I don't ever watch the studio stuff. I never watch the post-game stuff. It, it, it's not interesting to me. I'll watch clips of some of those interviews later. But the way that the game is televised and presented to the American public is the right way, I think. And I'll credit the 2008 Euros for that. So I was working at a company that was an international company. I was the only American in a group of about 30 from lots of different countries watching the World Cup standing around a 13-inch screen in a gym. In, 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 you know, like, like, there's all these people trying to work out, and we're all standing in a crowd trying to watch the, the, the Euros, the, the, the matches. And, um, just that. That moment to me was obvious to me that then more and more people started stopping by and saying, what are you watching? Oh, this is cool. And then the exposure is what kind of what I'm getting at that, that I think we've done really well. Um, I, I do wish one thing to change real quick. I wish the high school slash academy thing wasn't so combative. Like, there's no need to be against each other. Um, I know there are some bad coaches, but there's some good ones too. Um, and I'm not speaking about myself. I'm just saying in general, there are some good high school coaches out there. There are. That those two months that they're not in academy for DA, they're not losing anything. And they're having an experience of their life with their friends and in their school. And they're not going to break habits in those two months. Like I said, there's no time to train. So right. in, injuries and all that, I mean, that's a risk no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't buy into that stuff either. But in general, I think we're doing much better than we were. Um, and I just hope the momentum continues. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think it's a positive. I do. I think it's mostly positive. So if we can, we can just model some of the stuff a little, a little more like what's successful around the world. I think we'll be better off. But. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, imagine some of the, the resources, the ability to watch the game, mm-hmm. uh, heck, the ability to have something like this, yeah. right, where people can sit down and they're probably having these conversations, but you know, the ability to record them and then for the world to hear it or whatever. I mean. I think more and more people are invested and interested in the game in general. And um, I, I think the one, I guess, critique or criticism I would have would be don't sell American fans, not you, but just in general from what I've seen, that I think the media, mainstream media, tends to sell American fans a little short in terms of what they actually know. My experience, uh, some of the folks I've talked to, coaches I've talked to, their knowledge of the game is unbelievable. And, you know, I don't know how that compares to folks that are more global, but I guess, uh, you know, like, they're not the dumb American as sometimes as we might get portrayed to be. Um, I would agree with you, and I would also say that as a negative, I wish I wish our game would stop trying to convert fans that aren't fans of our game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go after the fan that's already a fan, yeah. and then let it grow from there. That, that would be right. the one thing I'd like to see changed. Well, to that point, I mean, it's so funny because, so I've had conversations with people that <clears> have <throat> basically said something along these lines of, well, I'm not a soccer person, but I found soccer, and oh my God, it's changed my life. And it is so much more than what actually happens on the pitch, right? It's the culture, it's the fan base, it's the, you know, I, I mean, I, 
I come back to this from time to time, but I mean, I sort of had this, you know, not aha moment, but I, I definitely knew this to be true. But when I was watching uh, Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix, what it means to people, right? I mean, this is, in some cases, it's a life or death thing. Like, this is all their being, their emotional state, you know? And, uh, I mean, just to see the, the passion and the love and the, the intensity people have for this game, like, this could be something people do for a lifetime, right? I mean... It's no different than the other sports. Sure. It's no different than a Detroit Lions fan or, you know, a Cincinnati Bengals fan or, yeah. or whatever to where, or, or let's talk about even hockey. I'm a big hockey fan, by the way. Yeah. Um, go Caps. And then, <laughs> I know, Mr. Penguin. Um, I won't hold it against you. You got a, you got a Stanley Cup to... Yeah, finally. The, um, the... Yeah. The knowledge and education of the sport and the passion that comes behind it is no different than the other sports to me. And it's just that we're being, quote-unquote, robbed of that experience because I don't really want to be told which team to cheer for. I don't want to be told that because I'm from PA, I should be cheering for the Philadelphia Union. What if I don't like Philadelphia? Like, what, what if I just have... I don't want nothing anything to do with Philadelphia. That's not true. I'm just saying. But what if that's the case? I'm actually technically closer to D.C. But I'm not a United fan at all. Right. So... Uh, why do I have to choose from them? What if I want to be a Penn FC fan? Well, I guess I can now, but um, what if I wanted to be, what if I want to go to Spring Grove FC? I'll make my own club. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't do that. So, well, I could, but it wouldn't go anywhere. <laughs> but but the, that dream is taken from me before I can ever be in Stark, right? Yeah. So, I, I would love to see that change. If, uh, if folks want to connect with you and, and follow along in your journey, um, he does some badass stuff, by the way, with the Spartan Spartan races. Uh, haven't followed Brian for a little while now, so how can they can uh, how can they connect with you? Well, easiest probably Twitter uh, at Coach Brian G. Um, that's that's probably the best way. That or Instagram of Braget B R Y G E T. Those are the two places I hang out most. My sincere thanks to Brian Getman, the latest guest to come on the On the Touchline podcast. And I feel like Brian is the coach that all of us can relate to in terms of a local high school or a local club. Just a good guy in our game, just trying to make it better for his players and to give them a, a great experience. Brian, I wish you all the best. And I uh, hope that we stay in touch and look forward to following along your journey. So what did we learn in this episode of the On the Touchline podcast? So it is never too late to start your coaching journey. It doesn't matter if you're 18. It doesn't matter if you're 25, 35, 45, whatever. Soccer truly is a lifelong activity. So if, if it is something you're passionate about, stop waiting. Do it. Start getting those coaching licenses. Start volunteering, bagging balls, whatever it might be. Start building your soccer resume today. Two, there are periods in one's life where you might leave the game. But soccer is uh, the type of sport that will welcome you back with open arms every single time. And if anyone is familiar with this story of the prodigal son, 
I'm not the most religious person in the world, but it is sort of like the prodigal son returning home after being away. So think of it that way. And last but not least, if you are struggling with your mental health or you feel like you're in a funk, it is absolutely okay to seek the help you need, whether that be from a a professional in terms of a mental health uh, therapist, it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be exercise, it could just be walking out on the soccer pitch and appreciating it for what it is. So it is absolutely okay to seek the help you need just to get to a good place in your life because I can tell you right hand up in the air, right hand to God right now, I have been there. And to know that you're not alone, that if you're struggling. All right, my sincerest thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys next time. This has been the On the Touchline podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.